Welcome to Fountain Springs Online. At Fountain Springs, we believe in showing unconditional love, irrational generosity, and being unwavering in our mission to show people who Jesus is. We are one church in multiple locations that exists to help grow and guide your relationship with Jesus. We are so glad you've joined us today, and we hope that we can encourage, challenge, and support you in your walk with Jesus. Feel free to join us this coming weekend at any of our locations and services, or call or email us so we can help you in any way. We are so glad that you've joined us today at Fountain Springs Online. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. If this is your first go at church, uh, I hope you feel welcome. If you're curious, when do the cult practices begin? They don't, so don't worry. Settle in. I, I really want to share some things from the Bible that I think will help all of us, and they're a big deal. In fact, as a church, we have a called a word for the year. We're, we're leaning into one word the whole year, just where it'll kind of be a theme. The word is awe. What I would tell you is this is the number one problem on earth right now is an awe problem. Now, now it, it's sometimes we're in awe of, of the worst things. Sometimes we're in awe of good things. But I would tell you, we have an awe problem. But a big part of the problem is that some of us are just flat out indifferent about it all. Where each day, if I said, hey, describe your past week, some of us would say routine. Uh, it just, I went to work, I ran the errands, and now I'm here. And it's just routine and rhythmic almost, better words, mundane, boring, and just blah. Maybe that's a good word. Some of us, in fact, are no longer impressed. In fact, just think about that for a moment. The last time. You were just like, and not for a bad thing, for a good thing. You were like, whoa, that is, that is, that is awesome. That is amazing. Here, here's what I would tell you. In fact, some of us would be like, uh, 2003, no, no, 1990. You, you're going way back. You're like, I don't, I don't remember, but let me amp it up a bit. What if I were to tell you I think that each day, each day could be full of these incredible moments where you're not indifferent, you're not bored by life. You are having moments of awe, of appreciation. Now, I've witnessed this blah kind of a life. In fact, there was a specific moment. I'm going to tell you 
a NASCAR story. Now, some of you are like, NASCAR. That's the left turn sport, right? Where it's left turn, left turn, left turn, left, and it's just repeat, right? And, and I know, I know that I am in the minority that uh, like maybe one or two of us probably have, have ever paid attention to NASCAR. Some of you equate NASCAR, oh, nap time. Oh, I love, I love NASCAR. Well, I actually didn't grow up being a NASCAR fan, but my son, my oldest son, Hayden, he loves fast cars. Uh, I thank God for that incredible gift he has, because I do too. I, I love fast, loud cars. And you know, I was trying to be a good dad. I'm like, I wonder, there's got to be some things, some ways that my son and I can bond over, well, fast cars. And we were in Daytona Beach one summer. Now, if you don't know NASCAR, it doesn't matter where I was. You're like, I don't care where you were. Uh, but in Daytona, there is a speedway, the Daytona Speedway. Now, you, again, not being a NASCAR fan, you're like, well, who cares? It's, it's a, just a road that's an oval, big deal. Well, some would say, and you don't have to say it, but some would say it might be the most prestigious, the, the most coveted title, championship, the biggest trophy that you would ever want to win would be the Daytona 500. There, there is actually death has occurred on that track. Now, again, if you're not an NASCAR, let me help you a little bit, okay? These cars go over 200 miles an hour. That should be at least uh, some entertainment. Uh, they, there's a lot of money involved. Most cars cost well over 100 grand to make. Now, I know some of you are already thinking, well, then spend it on something else, not NASCAR cars. Yeah, but, and it does take a little bit of skill because if it didn't require skill, you would, you'd be like, well, then you would do it and you would be the millionaire. So, so for those of us who are hating on NASCAR, uh, there are good drivers. But, but if you've ever been to a track, specifically the Daytona Speedway, there's some appreciation to have. So when we were there, I went and paid for a tour. You could take tours. They give tours all day. And so Hayden and I went on a tour. I was so excited. Now, it, it was in July in Florida, nowhere near the beach, no breeze whatsoever. But, but this place, there had been legends who were born in this place. This was an epic place, and it's incredible. So we, we got on. Now, if you're not familiar with NASCAR, uh, this will make sense. They put us on basically a trailer and pulled us with a truck. And, and you're like, oh, classy NASCAR. That makes sense. And so we're getting pulled by a trailer that we sat on benches and we're going all over the place taking this tour. And the first part, it starts off with uh, we're, being, we're being driven around the track, not on the track. See, if you don't know this, the track, especially in the corners, has a 31-degree pitch. If you're like, well, what does that mean? And math class was not great. I understand that. That's not like this. That's more like this. In fact, they couldn't even drive us up on there or we're going to roll off of it. And, and they're going to have some, some lawsuits. And so, so we get we to drive real close, about a foot away. We could see it. And I am amazed, okay? I had never been that close. I'm thinking, wow, I cannot imagine driving 200 plus miles per hour. On a road like this, I mean, straight is going to be difficult as it is, but, but like this. And I remember looking at Hayden like, isn't this amazing? And he looks back at me and he's like, there's no AC on this. There's no air conditioning. <laughs> I'm like, 
There's people around. Control yourself, David. There's people around. Control yourself. And I, 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 I don't know if you ever had this moment where you're like, I want, this is, this is ama- amazing. And so we, we did the tour. He seems unimpressed. Kind of like, eh, eh, the whole time. Eventually, <laughs> eventually, they bring you to where the champion gets to go. Now, I said the word champion because that's a big deal. In professional sports, there, there are no participation trophies. Uh, <clears throat> this is the place that if you win perhaps the most epic race, that, that you get to be there and there's a whole party for you. And, and it's incredible. And, and they let us stand there. And take pictures. In fact, they, they, let, they took pictures of us. I was like, this is amazing. And I'm, and I'm looking at Hayden. I'm like, this is like forever a memory for you, isn't it? Isn't it? He's like, hey, is there a gift shop? <laughs> gift shop. You're walking where legends have. How can you be indifferent about this? Now, now to give him credit, we have returned since that moment. And, uh, and he's appreciated it a bit more. I may have educated him a bit more before we went and prepped him. And my goal in telling you that story, by the way, is not to try to win you over to NASCAR. Some of you have already lost respect for me. You're like, you keep saying NASCAR, and I do not relate, so stop it. And I'm not trying to win you over to fast cars or racing or anything like that. But I do want you thinking about something. Have you become indifferent Maybe your problem is not an awe in the, in the wrong thing. Maybe your problem is zero awe, where you go to work and you're just, then you come home and it just seems routine and normal. And there's this constant kind of yearning for just the next day to come, even though you know there's no excitement. In fact, some of us have such a boring, mundane, indifferent life, we get fueled on the bad. The bad seems to jazz us up a little bit, where we finally get some life because there's bad and, and something to talk about, even though we don't like it. We have an all problem. We have an all problem. We have to lean into it. And perhaps our problem in the midst of this is that we are living a boring life. And I will tell you, God did not make you and say, oh, I can't wait to give you this boring life. But some of us, because that's what life looks like, you're questioning a lot. You wonder if you're living in the right place, if you're married to the right person, if you're doing the right thing. You wonder if you should be somewhere else with someone else doing something that would be more exciting. And you're just constantly just going, I just feel dissatisfied. Well, I think I know why. And that's what I want to get at. Let me show you First Chronicles something. This is a big deal. Remember the wonders he has performed. His miracles. And, and the rulings he has given. It's this first part that I hope that you'll catch. Remember the wonders. Remember the wonders. Many of us, because maybe you're going through bad right now, and bad seems to stack up. Sometimes we say it happens in threes, right, or, or whatever, or just happens all the time. That there's so much bad, or maybe it's mundane, that, that the wonders of what God has done, you're like, I'm not thinking about that, dwelling on that. I'll get to that when this is all over. Well, what's, there's a name for this, by the way. 
There's a name for refusing or neglecting this whole remembering. It's called all amnesia. There's an actual, it's defined by this, all amnesia. Now, now you have to remember this, uh, it's, and I'm not, I mean, you really have to lock in, like, could you have right now all amnesia? You're like, I don't know what it means. Well, let me show you what it means. Forgetting what God has done creates a lack of wonder. So if you find yourself having a lack of wonder where everything's mundane or blah or just uneventful or you're like, hey, next please, next please, and the greatest excitement in your life is when Netflix finally puts out something, you're like, oh, good, fine. No, that's not wonder. If you have a lack of wonder, I would tell you, and I think God would tell you, the Bible would reiterate like crazy that you have forgotten what God has done. For those of you who, who might be new to this, I am not trying to downplay bad. Every one of us, if you don't know this, every one of us has dealt with, wrestled with bad. Bad news from a doctor bad news from a spouse or a loved one, bad news from a boss, bad news at school or a friend. We've wrestled with bad, bad moments, circumstances, consequences. We've wrestled with it. And I'm telling you, it hurts. And it's bad. But oftentimes it gets so stacked and loud in our lives that it's all we see. Paul David Tripp, one of my favorite authors, at least right now, We've lost our wonder. I agree. And in so doing, have shrunk our souls to the size of momentary, earthbound hopes and dreams. Because we have, we get disappointed, mad, and envious too quickly. I would even add to that, and too often. I mean, come on. Get disappointed, mad, and envious? Welcome to social media. I mean, this is where we begin to vent about this or even begin to watch people. It used to be called stalking. Now it's like, oh, I'm just, I'm just friending you. It's called, so this is where we get disappointed. We watch their life and every picture is, they're smiling and they're always at the beach. And we get disappointed and mad and, and envious and we crave that or we look at their life and rejoice in their suffering. I would tell you, because if you don't know this about you and, and myself, we are greatly tempted to be dominated by right now. Whatever's going on right now begins to consume us in ways we did not expect. Now, I'm, again, I'm not trying to belittle right now. Some of you right now, it breaks my heart because I know what some of you are walking through right now. And what you're walking through right now is some of you, it's tragic, it's heartbreaking, it's tough. There, there's no glimpse of what to do or how, how to do it. And I, I get that. But see, when we get dominated by right now, we lose our awe because everything's in right now and we can no longer have wonder in what God's done or even the good things that have just played out in our lives. It's why some of us, we try to remember some of your friends in school. You're like, they were, uh, what was their name? What was their, because we don't have time or energy or the mental capacity anymore to remember everything that's good that's happened in our past because right now is such a big deal. Maybe 
Maybe your right now is so boring and routine because that's all you think about. Now, what brings you to this place? <laughs> what creates this awe amnesia in your life? Like, there are instigators to this. It's not a secret. There's instigators. In fact, I, just for our sake, I'm going to highlight four instigators to all amnesia. Maybe one of them uh, will hit you a bit. One's entitlement. Entitlement, the, the I deserve lifestyle. No, I put the word lifestyle in there on purpose because, I mean, there's some things in life that you can say you deserve and that's not bad. But it's the lifestyle of it where when you wake up and you go to school, uh, it's everything you deserve. You, you just crave that. Or you spend time with friends and it's all about what you deserve. You, you go to work, you spend time with family, you go anywhere, you go to church, you go and it's I deserve. Everything is about what you deserve. Or maybe I should speak it this way. Everything is about what you have a right to have. And I think some of us, not on purpose, have fallen into this lifestyle of just demanding our right and what we deserve. And if you're filling your brain with that, then you've got no time or space for just being in awe of what God has already done. And in fact, entitlement has a tendency to make us belittle a little bit of what God has done. Now, by the way, some of you are like, yeah, it's the millennials' fault. It's this new generation. No, I, I would not say entitlement is a millennial thing. It's a human being thing. That most of us, if you can admit it, have had moments where you just wanted it to be your day. And when we live that way every day, You'll lose your all. You'll have all amnesia. Right, let me show you another one. Control. Now, some of you are control freaks. It's okay. You're a part of church right now. It's a good time to be honest about this. It's, maybe you're obsessed with power. Not necessarily you having power, but just who has power. Who, who can pull the levers and steer the car kind of a thing. You're a backseat driver, not just in the car, but in life. Some of you think as a parent, you think right now you're going to be able to be in control for the rest of your life. You're not only setting yourself up for heartbreak. Uh, if you think life is about who has control, then I would tell you you're going to lose your awe. You're going to forget about how God never surrendered control. Control sometimes becomes a a drug of ours, uh, and it consumes us. And if it does, you're going to have all amnesia. Let me show you another one. Perhaps uh, we can relate to this well. Relational dysfunction. Do not raise your hand uh, at all on this. Uh, unrealistic expectations and dependence. Now, some of us are like, oh, I got some of that. I got a lot of that. Some of you think that I should put your family name above that. And you're like, unrealistic expectations and dependence. Don't project it so fast onto someone else. Unrealistic expectations. Some of us right now are expecting our children to craft an identity for us. And if they achieve, we finally feel like we're good. Some of us get married not because we're in love, but we want a savior. And we treat our spouse like they can fix everything, save everything, and then... It doesn't play out that way. 
Some of us, our friends, the reason our friends are, we're like, I like my friends. But deep down, like, because they make me feel good about myself, and they better make me feel good about myself. You see, we begin to project these unhealthy expectations that other people, one, they might not even know about, nor can they achieve that all the time. And that creates this relational dysfunction. And if you get so consumed with what other people need to do for you and around you, you're going to forget about the wonder of God. And you'll find yourself living in all amnesia. One last one. One last one. I would just call it drive. Now, it's not bad to have a drive, to, to like want to accomplish something. Some of you, I wish more people had that. It's not bad to have drive, but, but sometimes you get so driven, results over relationships all the time. Where you work and you tell yourself you work so many hours because you're trying to provide for your family, when at the same time you're compromising your family because they never see you or they, they don't get you. A lot of times we begin to look at people as they're a, they're a way to obtain some sort of success or achievement, and it's no longer about the relationship. And if you live in that overdriven kind of mentality, you don't have any space to even think about God. Those are just four. Some of us right now are like, this sermon's depressing. I mean, at times, like some of it, like if you if you have no excitement in life and you're indifferent about life, and it just seems like I'm constantly dissatisfied in life, and if you're like, I don't like those, just move on, Pastor David. Come on, turn the corner, okay? But we fight all amnesia with confession. If you have any craving, like I don't want to live a dissatisfied life, I want to make sure that I am I'm living in the wonder of God, what he's done, who he is, what he's accomplished. If you want to live in that, then you've got to learn the power of confession. Confession, I would say, has multiple words that describe it. I mean, most of us are freaking out right now. You're like, confession, this church just confession? Do I have to tell Dave? What? How's this work? And you might be a bit uneasy right now. Confession, another word for it, might be repentance. Where, where you're like, okay, I know what I've done or what I said or how I've been thinking, how I've been processing life and all that. It's not been good, and, and, and I'm, I don't want to do it anymore, and I'm sorry for that. Repentance is a word described. If I can boil it down to like the rawest form, it's I am sorry. If you want to break back into a satisfying life, I have to introduce you to perhaps one of the most powerful sentences you could ever utter to God or anyone. I am sorry. That's why some of us right now are angry and hurt and we struggle letting go of it because they, whoever they is, they didn't say they were sorry. And it's why if you ever have a fight with a spouse or a friend, the most difficult place to get to is that line where you say, I am sorry. It's perhaps one of the most vulnerable places you could ever put yourself to acknowledge that you have a fault. And that's why you and I don't see it. I mean, come on, do this just as a test. Watch the news and see if anyone says, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. I should not have said that. 
You're not going to see it, okay? I mean, you can spend days. See, we don't say it. We've lost it. And you have to see the connection. between We no longer confess our wrong. And so we live in a world where you're not allowed to be wrong. If you can't be wrong, you can't be in awe of God. You just can't. So you have to learn perhaps one of the most significant lessons. They're not just teach our kids when they're young. But we must grab a hold of the power of simple repentance. Where it's more normal. And regular. I don't want to get too wordy. Let me, let me show you a, a decent definition. I think this helps us. Repentance is an acknowledgement of our sin. Perhaps the most difficult part of that. To acknowledge to another person. Or even to God. What I did. What I said. How I've been living. It was sin. I'm sorry. Acknowledgement of our sin requiring God's effort to give forgiveness. God's effort. See, a lot of times we, we try to say, okay, I'm sorry. And what we're actually saying is I'm going to try to earn you back. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I have. I'm not a lot, especially uh, in my marriage. <laughs> where, where I'm like, I am so sorry. I mean, let's just say hypothetically mm, today... Uh, my, my wife was like texting me, hey, would you, would you bring this uh, for me? I really need it. Yes, sweetie. Yes. And then I saw her, and as soon as I saw her, I was like, oops. <laughs> I forgot. And I'm sorry. Repentance is where you're willing. Not to blame, because, oh, I had things in my head. Well... The kids were kind of out of hand a little bit. and they, My mind was distracted. I, I, I was going to preach. And there's, there's all, no. I messed up. And if I cannot admit that, the relationship is harmed. It's not what I did that does the majority of the harm. It's the lack of repentance. And the beautiful thing in my marriage is that Katie then, so powerful for me at least, she doesn't make me re-earn the role role of, of husband. It's like, I forgive you. But see, we mess up the whole repentance. I can tell you why. It's because there's a battle. A battle between two words, repentance versus penance. And when I bring up repentance, I am sorry. Some of us are like, ooh, I know how to do that. You, you, you don't even have to say I'm sorry. You just try to do it better next time. You just try to, with your actions, fix it. That's not the core of repentance. Let me show you the difference. Just for definition nerds like myself. <laughs> repentance, the acknowledgement of our sin, you know, requiring God's effort to give forgiveness. But versus penance. Penance, acknowledgement of our sin requiring our effort to earn forgiveness. You need to see the significant difference between repentance and penance. And God was like, uh, you can't earn <laughs> Forgiveness. 
That's the beautiful thing, the thing that you and I are like, what, do I, what should I be in, in, in wonder about? That you can't earn his love. You can't earn him saying, you know what? You've done really good the past 10 days. It's clean now. No, when you utter the words to God, I am sorry. He believes you. He knows your heart. But if you don't know this, here's the dirty secret about most of us. We're trying to earn God's forgiveness. I know this even about long-term Christians. This is what we struggle about. We wonder, if I'm not good enough, does, does, does God still see me, like me, accept me? Like, what do I have to do to get his acceptance? I'm going to earn it. I'm going to earn it. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to work really hard. Let me teach you something about God as much as we forget about God. God never forgets about us. And maybe he's like, oh, no, he never forgets about my sin. No, 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 he never forgets about us. He loves us. He loves you. That's not just a good poster or a nice thing to say to someone. God loves you. If you want something to be in wonder about, to be amazed about every single day, so God decided at some point in history before you and I were ever made, he was going to refuse to forget you. One of my favorite passages that illustrates this. Let me show it to you in Isaiah. Never. Talking about can he forget you. Never. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. See, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. I love how practical the Bible is. Because you know what I should have done? Hypothetically, if Katie had been like, hey, can you do this for me? I'm like, yes, I can. Bring, but yeah. Because is it not what some of us do? Some of us have a little used technology. We've leveraged it a little bit. But you know that most of us classically, if there's one thing that you absolutely do not want to ever forget, you write it on your hand. That's why some of us have bracelets that remind us of the important things, things that we value or that we're about. We, we don't want to forget. It's why we usually wear our watches on our wrists. We're like, that's important to me. What a beautiful thought that God looks at you and writes his Right on his hand. Your name. My name. That should strike some sense of wonder in you. Where your day can be stacking high full of bad. But nothing removed. He's got your name. He hadn't forgotten you. And I know it. There's days. I, I've been there where you. You're like, I, I, I know you said you didn't forget me, but it feels that way. You need to know that God never changes, and he doesn't forget you. It may feel like it, but that feeling is wrong. He loves you. And in fact, Jesus, while he walked this earth, he's like... <laughs> You, you're going you're to forget 
You're going to forget that, that you're loved by God. You're going to forget that Jesus cared so much. Jesus knew. He's like, you're going to forget all this stuff. You're going you're gonna to have moments that maybe, maybe you didn't technically forget it. Just you don't think about it. You don't dwell on it. What's going on in your life is stacking up bad, 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 bad. So you don't have any time to think about how great Jesus is. And he's like, you're going to forget. And when you forget, you're going to have this all amnesia, and then things are going to collapse. Things are going to fall apart, and you're going to have this mundane, dissatisfied life. You're going to forget. You're going to forget, and I'm going to intervene so you don't forget. So here's what Jesus did. He's having a meal. He's having a meal, and he didn't want anyone to forget. So he, he's like looking at the table. And if you don't know at the table, especially in that culture, there was always bread. Now, I know many of us, I mean, that's how you choose the restaurant that you go to. You're like, they got rolls. And they come talk to you like, hey, would you like an appetizer? Nope, because I know you're bringing the rolls. (laughs) Way back then, I mean, bread at the table was a staple. And Jesus is like, I know you guys are going to forget. And in fact, everyone's going to have struggles just remembering and being in awe. So you're going to forget. So Jesus, what we have eyewitnesses, this was written down. Jesus grabbed the bread at the table. And he broke it. Now to you and I, you're like, oh, okay. But in Jewish culture, you didn't cut bread because bread represented life. That was oftentimes, that was the symbol that it represented at the table. It represented life. So they have always broke it. And Jesus is like, you're going to forget, you're going to forget. So when you guys have, have a meal together and you break bread, well, let, me, let me show you what he said. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. Now, if this is your first time, maybe in church or here and that, you're, at first you're like, that, that's, that's odd. <laughs> at first glance, he broke bread. He's, they're having a meal, and, and now he's calling the bread his body. Well, you have to study the Bible for you and I, not connected to that culture to understand what's going on. So let me help. Let me, let's bring us all up to speed. Let me show you some more. Then Jesus shouted out again. This is while he's being crucified. And he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple, at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Brief history. In the temple, there was a curtain that separated the Holy of Holies, the special place, the the representation, the presence of God. Only the high priest could go in there. Not everyone had access to God. Like you and I have access to God. They just didn't have it. And they grew up just accepting that. They're like, we just, that's the way it is. That's the way life works. When Jesus was on the cross and when he died, that curtain that separated God from people split, notice, down the middle. Opening up the curtain, symbolically saying, now, if you want access to God, you may have it. In fact, if you read in Hebrews, 
This helps us. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, confidence, if we get access to God by the blood of Jesus, the death of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. In the Bible, the curtain and his body were often referred to as the same thing. Here's what Jesus knew. He's like, you're going to forget that you have access to an almighty God. So he broke bread. And he's like, every time you eat of this and you gather together like this, I want you to remember you get access. But that wasn't everything, as you know. Then he had some sort of a goblet full of wine, and he grabbed it. That would have been very normal at the meal. But that is a powerful part of this. Let me show it to you here. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Now, for those of you, if you're like, now he's talking about it's his blood, and, and some people take that literally, but Jewish culture, it wasn't meant literally. That's just how they saw things. He's, he's drawing a parallel, and he's saying, you're not just getting access to me where you can see me from afar. You're getting forgiveness of your sins too so you can spend eternity with me forever. Your sins will get forgiven, which means we get to hang out forever. This is the grace and mercy that should stir in you a powerful wonder. You can be having bad Day after day after day. But still be like, oh. But Jesus loves me. Here's how I put it. Our all in God can be anchored in our grace from God. Our grace that he's like, I'm giving it to you. I'm not forgetting you. I I promise you, I'm going to remember you. That you and I can live each day that it may not go like wonderfully like, oh, it's awesome. Everything's great. It's like, this is tough, David. The doctor said this or she just broke up the marriage. It's over or, or my kid is struggling or you're not having the money you want. It, whatever the struggle is, it doesn't have to be your anchor. Grace. Grace. So that when we gather as a church, when we participate in what's called communion, it can be a reset, a restoration, a reshaping of our all. That my guess is you got something going on in your life, whether it's boring or painful, but you can restore your all, the beautiful wonder of God. Now, my guess is there's a, a large number of us who didn't grow up in church and you're like, so how does that play out? How do I launch that? How do I walk? I'm going to bring you back to when I was a kid, okay? 
And here's something I was taught. It just helps me remember the ABCs. Uh, A, admit. Admit that you have sinned, that you have not been perfect, that you've made choices that you should not have made. Uh, you have to admit it. If you can't admit it, you can't progress, you, that you have all amnesia the rest of your life. You have to be willing to admit that you're not perfect. But not stop there. Believe that Jesus... Jesus is your Savior. Jesus died for you. Jesus resolved your and my sin problem. Jesus, only Jesus. You can choose to believe that you're your own Savior or that the, the nature is your Savior, but no, no, no. Jesus, the only way to get that wonder back is Jesus. Admit that you have sinned. Believe that Jesus saved you and commit to follow Jesus the rest of your life to be in all of him and to even share it with other people. Did you know that you and I are not invited into some sort of a private relationship? It's supposed to be known. So we at all our locations are gonna participate in communion together. You need to know this, listen to me and look at me. I don't care if you're a member of this church, if this is your first time, if you've been here a billion times, the Bible states clearly the only requirement for communion is that you believe Jesus is your Savior. That's it. If you believe that, I'm going to invite you here to participate. But I don't want to move forward. Maybe some of you have never declared to God that you actually do follow him or you want to say that to him. So before we walk into this, let's pray together. So would you bow your heads, close your eyes, and if you never have, but you're ready to surrender your life over and you're, you're willing to do that, then just speak this to God privately, silently. You don't, you don't have to say it out loud. He can know your heart. He sees you. Just Speak this to God. God, I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for living my own way. I'm sorry for pursuing my own desires all the time. God, please forgive all my sins. Come into my life. I want you to be a part of everything in my life. I believe you are my Savior. And I commit to follow you for the rest of my life. God, would you help me in the moments that I doubt and feel insecure? God, would you help me in the moments that I'm just struggling? But God, I declare to you that I follow you now. You are my savior. God, I pray for everyone listening. God, that please know from our hearts we want to communicate to you that you are amazing, that what you have done in the past, what you're doing now, and what you will do in the future is full of wonder. You are awesome. You are amazing. You are all-powerful. But God, you are loving. And we just wanted to tell you that. Take the rest of our time, God, as in belief in our heart that we are in awe of you. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.